Welcome to the wonderful world of dance, bringing you exclusive interviews with top dancers and choreographers and reviews of the world's best companies across the globe. You can find lots more on our website at thewonderfulworldofdance.com. Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful World of Dance, and today I am so excited to introduce English National Ballet first artist, Isabel Browers. Originally from Germany, <laughs> hello, <laughs> originally from Germany, Isabel has been with English National Ballet for six years after training with Royal Ballet and English National Ballet schools. But now, of course, with COVID, English National Ballet, like all companies around the world, have not been performing. The company has only recently seen their dancers begin to return to their new multi-million pound home in East London. So let's find out how this ballerina has been handling lockdown life <laughs> and, yes, how she's returning to the studio. Hi, Isabel. Hello. <laughs> so lovely to talk nice to you. To be, yeah, I'm honoured and excited about this opportunity. So, yeah. Well, and today you're joining me for the listeners who can't see mm -hmm. you. Um, you're sat at a cafe uh, today. I am, I am indeed. I uh, had some mishaps at home, which unfortunately <laughs> mean I had to relocate, but excited so, nonetheless for this. Yes, absolutely. So for those, if you hear a little bit bit of background noise or someone comes to offer Isabella another coffee then you know why <laughs> but that is London life at the moment who knows what's going on these days so you're you've recently just started to dip your your toes back into the studio how does it feel That's to be correct. back uh, to be honest I I can't really describe um how it feels um lockdown was a bit of a, a whirlwind um, and on top of that, um, I had fractured my foot just before the lockdown happened, uh, which meant that my immobilization uh, was even more accentuated. I was just stuck in my little stuck, tiny studio flat, um, trying to get back to dancing without really having any proper follow-up um, and without having any real guidance or real treatment um and on top of that without having any space at all um so it was really quite a challenge and quite a self-discovery process <laughs> to put it one way um so being back in the studios is just absolutely liberating um we are still very much following social distancing rules um we are still restricted to a certain box in the studio um, just to ensure that we have a proper and safe distance between each other when we're working at the bar um, and also within center work we try and keep our distances and we wear a mask throughout um, but even with these restrictions in place it's so liberating and so inspiring and motivating to be able to be back in a professional work environment um, especially the incredible new studios that we have um, in Canning Town. Well, what, what is it like dancing in a mask? This must be, <laughs> been it's been quite warm. I've been wearing my mask and so different things. Um, and it was horrible, to be honest, I have to say. What's it like yeah. dancing? Um, it's a little bit asphyxiating, <laughs> to say the least. Um, it's, I guess it's good lung training. Um, Personally, um, I don't mind it so much now. The first week was a bit of a, a struggle. I think actually what got me the most was not being able to see anything below my nose. Um, and I found it quite difficult to focus and find my spot and find somewhere to look at when I was balancing. 
just because you kind of lose that peripheral. Um, yeah, I guess it makes you realise how much we rely on our visuals as dancers. Yeah. And so you're at the bar and you're having to mm -hmm. social distance and in the centre. Yes. What, what does that feel like? Does it make your it must make your you know your class numbers smaller? And tell me about that. Yes. So um, actually, it's it's been quite an incredible um, logistical feat, I think, for the company to put this all together, uh, because we are restricted to um, they're calling them social bubbles. Um, yeah little bubbles um, of eight dancers maximum um, and they've tried to um, and very successfully uh, managed to compile people who live um, in certain households together or within a certain proximity of each other um, within different groups um, and also they've managed to modify another group for the people who had been injured uh, during the lockdown uh, and therefore they were able to come back at a slightly slower pace. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're, we've got these pods, um, these like bubbles of just eight dancers and we each have our assigned studio uh, and an assigned entry time and arrival time just to ensure that there's not a huge rush of people all coming in the building at the same time. Um, we have temperature checks when we arrive in the building um, and we go through a little symptoms questionnaire just to ensure every day that you know, nothing, there's no alarm bells ringing. Um, and yeah, we have a one-way system to go up the stairs into our assigned studios um, and then a one-way system to come down. Um, it's, it's all been regulated like almost in military and really impressive fashion actually. <laughs> yeah. It does, it does sound very, very organised. And <laughs> how, what about things like, um, so you're doing company class and you're particularly, mm -hmm. you know, coming back from an injury. Mm -hmm. What about when you're thinking um, or the company's thinking about rehearsals and doing, you know, pas de deux and, and duos and things, how is that going to work with the social mm -hmm. distancing and the masks and that communication that you have as well between dancers? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I guess... Yeah, it's difficult to think about it because um, within dance, we, we don't even realize it's just second nature to us to have such close contact. And we are just such open and such um, tactile people. We, we touch each other, we hug each other, we're, we're open, we're friendly. And it, it has been a bit of an adjustment. And thinking about phase two, um, which will be when we start rehearsing, it, it, it is a bit of a, a complicated thing to wrap your head around. Um, we're having discussions now about that. Um, again, the company are having to take a very organized and very safe approach just to ensure there's minimal risk of um, contamination or any kind of dangers. Um, again, they've been asking us about households um, and who lives with who, just to try and filter out um, where Padaja possibilities would be most safe and most you know, feasible. Um, and I think it'll all be a little bit about creativity um, and using these um, impediments and restrictions to our advantage. It, it is possible to create and rehearse um, beautiful pieces that don't involve extremely close contact. Um, and yeah, I, I think as with everything, um, choreographers, creators, and us dancers, we're just going to have to be adaptable um, because it's something that we need to do. It's, it's a passion within us. We can't not dance. Um, 
And we just have to adapt to the times, uh, just as the art form itself has been adapting to the times, you know, throughout the centuries. It's, I guess, another milestone for us now. And do you have a sightline of maybe when uh, E&B will be back on stage? I know that obviously the company is following oh, all the government I guidelines, <laughs> which keep changing and they keep pushing back yes. performance dates. Uh, yes, yeah, so <laughs> we had an amazing, exciting season planned um, and it's, it's been really a bit of a blow uh, to think of all of the things that could have been uh, and unfortunately have had to be postponed um, or, or know, God forbid, unfortunately, maybe some things will have to be cancelled. Um, as with everything, this entire process has been a little bit of a wait, take it day by day, week by week. Um, there is nothing confirmed or set in stone as of yet for our London performance seasons. Um, I mean, my big dream would be to be able to premiere Creature in November at Sadler's Wells. And as guidelines stand now, in my opinion, it seems like it could be a possibility. But as I said, everything has been changing so quickly and so rapidly. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it's just really been a, a time for society in general, uh, you know, the population of the entire world <laughs> to just take things a little bit slower, um, not plan months and years in advance, um, take things one day at a time and be as resourceful as possible with what is possible current moment yeah yeah absolutely planning has become yeah. you know so 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 difficult when you were <laughs> do you remember the sort of moment when before you went into lockdown what that mm -hmm. felt like for you um, as a dancer at this point in your career you're 24 years of age okay. mm -hmm. um and thinking about you know the unknown what did it feel yeah. like going into this uh so i think i was in a quite a particular situation um, in the sense that uh, I think it had been about two weeks or maybe even less um, just before the lockdown that I'd fractured my foot. Um, and it came at a horrible time because we were working on Creature with Akram Khan. And it was the thing that I'd been most looking forward to the entire season. Um, working with Akram Khan for me um, in Giselle was an absolute revelation. And it's a piece that for me continues to, to make me grow as an artist and continues to give me opportunities to just really explore what it, what it means to be an artist, what it means to express and explore different aspects of each character. And it, it's just, to me, Akram's work is, is just genius and so inspiring. Um, and the, the, the way he, it's, it's just like a cinematographic experience, literally every movement means something. And again, we had this opportunity with Creature and um, I'd uh, come home, uh, I'd come back to London early uh, for my holidays to give myself an extra week to work with Akram Khan in a smaller group. And the build up to this had just been so exciting. And um, the material he creates is just, oh, I, I can't not do it. Um, and then, Suddenly, I was in rehearsal trying, we were playing around and trying a few things. Um, I tried to jump and landed badly. And I knew, 
I knew exactly what happened. I sat on the floor, just helpless. Oh, it was just a blow. So in a way, as horrible as this might sound, the lockdown actually for me came at a very good time and a good time in my career um, because it did mean for me that the performances that were missed were actually missed across the board. Um, and I feel terrible saying this because I know the passion and the hard work and the dedication that went into the creation of Preacher at that time. Um, but in a way, um, it was actually a very good moment for me because um, I, I am now able to return at the same level um, and at the same kind of speed as my colleagues. And hopefully, as you say, we will see the premiere of Creature on the stage at Sadler's Wells in London in November. I'm really <laughs> praying. I'm really, fingers crossed. Um, I'm really, really hoping this happens. Um, Absolutely. And if not, there, if not, we are blessed in our new building um, with an incredible production studio, which will allow us to create and um, stream performances um, and you know, make use of the amazing technology that we have in this century to be able to deliver performances in a different way. Um, and actually, I think this is something very important and very relevant to bring up, is that actually this period has been an opportunity to bring this art form to a completely new audience. Um, people who would have maybe never even considered approaching an opera house or a theater to watch something as, let's say, um, outdated, in their maybe in their opinion, um, as classical ballet. Um, suddenly they have it at their fingertips on the screen. Um, and actually there have been amazing comments from first time viewers saying, wow, I never would have thought I would have enjoyed a ballet so much. And now I'm, I'm hooked and they can't wait to come and watch us live. So in a way it has actually been a period of opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And it is wonderful to see new audiences engaging through you know, social media, live, YouTube, yeah. all those types of performances and it would be amazing to see some new work coming out of you know, EMB's new home. But while you were laid up with your, your fractured um, and your, in, your injury, how did yeah. you stay motivated? You mentioned that, you know, you were, obviously we were all isolated. How have you ensured that you've been able to I guess, get the right medical support and you know, yeah. get yourself ready to come back. And how have you stayed motivated, not just physically, but mentally as well? Um, I'm not going to lie. It was a challenge. Uh, there was dips and there was moments where I just wanted to throw my hands in the air and just go on holiday. Um, but I think as a person, um, I say this smiling because everyone knows, um, I'm very, very... Um, hardworking and motivated and dedicated, um, sometimes a bit too much. <laughs> um, so actually for me, um, keeping motivated and making sure that I did work every day was actually not that much of a challenge. Um, and I was very grateful uh, to have my sister move in because I think if I had been in my studio flat alone the whole time, that, that could have led to a spiral of just insanity. <laughs> Um, so it was very, very helpful for me to have my sister next to me. Um, she was working on her final year project um, as a graphic design student. Um, and she graduated with absolutely incredible marks. I'm so proud of her. Um, and just seeing the passion and dedication that she had towards her work right next to me. I, I guess we kind of fueled each other. Um, 
because she made the same comment that if she'd stayed in her flat chair um, and just been stuck in her room, she probably wouldn't have had the same kind of drive um, and that same kind of motivation uh, to succeed. And I think having her there working so hard and so intently and having me trying to work hard and intently on recovering um, from this injury, it just, it, it gave us both, both boost. Um, and yeah, I guess what, what kind of gave me a constant motivation was knowing that I was going from literally a boot, immobilized foot to trying to get myself back to some form of dance. So in a way that did give me like a quantifiable and measurable way of seeing and trying to keep progress going. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I was able to be in touch with the head of our medical team from time to time. Um, however, uh, our, our staff were fur furloughed for most of the time. So I couldn't really use those resources officially. Mm. Um, uh, it, it was a matter of um, using a lot of the Pilates and um, rehab knowledge that we'd gained throughout our time and at EMB. Um, I am a huge believer in the transformative power of uh, strength and conditioning and Pilates work. Uh, I've never been one of Actually, hmm, say that. Uh, in school, I didn't realize the importance of this. It was only when I actually joined um, EMB and uh, I unfortunately had um, some injuries in the past, uh, which did actually allow me to explore and um, realize um, the importance of cross-training. And these, these moments actually gave me op opportunities to understand my tool much better. Um, and this lockdown, this huge period of time in which you're, I was left to kind of you know, self-rehabilitate actually was an amazing self-discovery. Um, I, yeah, I just tuned in and tapped into corners of my body that I didn't realize were moving a certain way and um, muscles and chains and networks of neurological pathways in my body that I didn't realize had been switched off or dormant or overactive. Um, and I mean, I'm still in this discovery process. And I think this discovery process is never ending for us dancers. Um, but I did find it fascinating to actually have the time to reflect on that and the time to, to actually acknowledge that and, yeah, and realize how, how much um, about my tool I, I wasn't actually yet aware of. Um, and although as dancers, we are hypersensitive about how our body moves, I think this, this moment um, of just self-training and having to self-guide yourself and, and you know, self-correct, self-teach, self-criticize, um, it, it was a very useful self-discovery process. It does sound like you used the time really well and you're getting back to <laughs> getting, getting to yourself back into the studio, that well-organized yeah. mask-infused um, studio. Yeah. But let's go back to sort of where it all started. When, mm -hmm. How old were you and why did you start dancing in the first place? Uh, so I come from an expatriate family, which means we moved around every two or three years. Um, and one of our... Um, relocations was in Bucharest in Romania uh, where they have an absolutely amazing opera house um, it's quite historic not very um, modernized but there's something so beautiful and magical about that that kind of 
almost decrepit <laughs> feeling. Um, and um, I watched her performance there and I was just absolutely in love with it. Uh, and I just begged my mom to take me to ballet class. And I went with my sister and she was the one who was just kind of hanging off the bar, rolling her eyes. And from the first day, I remember I was just captivated. Um, and we had a Romanian ballet mistress or teacher uh, who actually, I believe, is still there. Um, I've spoken to Francesca Valhu in our company, who's Romanian. And I've mentioned this to her before, and she was like, oh, wow, I can't believe it. Yeah, she's still there. So um, I started with a woman called Donna Magda, who didn't speak a word of English. Um, she was just blabbering out in Romanian. Uh, and I still remember a few of the phrases. Pichuarele um, intinsa was straight knees. Uh, and then, oh, that's the only one I can remember right now um but yeah so, so it was it was just fascinating for me a little seven-year-old um not really understanding what was being said um but just captivated by this movement and um unfortunately i was only there for two years uh, and i then moved to mexico um i was very lucky to find amazing ballet teachers there as well um and and after that, I moved to Malaysia, where I found other ballet coaches that just completely reignited and, and continued to keep this flame, this passion alive. Um, and I think what struck me a lot with the importance of dance is not, not only how I felt doing it, but also how I felt um, it gave me a sense of identity and a sense of connection to community. Um, because we were moving around so much and because our environment was ever-changing, this was just something that really gave me a root. And it really, it was, it just, it became part of who I was and how I communicated, how I made friends and how I, how I connected myself to the environment that I was in. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it was something I couldn't refrain from. I don't even know how to put it into words. Um, it was just something I had to do. <laughs> Yes, I hear that a lot from dancers. It's um, that um, the it becomes a, as you say, the sense of identity. It's who you are. You are a dancer yeah. almost first mm -hmm. before many things. Um, you found your way to the Royal Ballet School and mm -hmm. English National Ballet Schools. How did they help prepare you? Obviously, they're prestigious ballet schools. Um, yeah. Tell us, tell me about your training and and how that helped your journey. So um, I think it was. When I was, when I moved to Malaysia, um, I was about, yeah, I was 11 years old then. Um, and it was when I was starting to take my dance training really, really seriously. And it was just getting really impossible to keep lugging ourselves from country to country and find an appropriate ballet teacher uh, to really train me in a professional way. Um, and in Malaysia, I started to gain a little bit more knowledge about the international dance scene. Um, I was going to competitions and I went to the Youth America Grand Prix. Um, and um, this is where I started to realize actually how important it was not only to train privately, I had great coaches, but how important it was to set yourself um, in an environment where you were surrounded by people with the same passion, the same level as well, um, or higher levels to motivate you, to push you, and, and to realize what, what you had to achieve. Um, so... My parents were always very supportive um, and they agreed and fueled my decision to you know, apply for professional training. 
Um, and I applied for, I think, every professional ballet school literally in the world. <laughs> um, after going to the Youth American Grand Prix in 2008, um, I was you know, really honoured to have been seen by um, the director at the time, who was um, late um, Gaylene Stock. And um, she offered me a place uh, one year ahead at White Lodge, um, just because I had been exposed to repertoire that um, maybe with the methodology of training that was being given at White Lodge, they hadn't exposed the younger students to yet. Um, so I was able to kind of jumpstart and uh, join one year ahead. Um, and I think I was left a little bit stunned when I first joined White Lodge because I came from a very strange training background uh, where I never really learned the the complete basics, the clean, the, the slow, the controlled, like beautiful articulate footwork, which is like such a, a trademark of the English ballet. Um, and I remember I was, I wouldn't say bored, but I was almost a bit, you know, disheartened when I joined and we were doing these the basic tonjis, basic um, basic point work, like articulation of the feet. These are things that I hadn't really realized um, the importance of, and I hadn't really developed an appreciation for. I was eleven, rocking out Esmeralda and Kitri variations on point, and it was great. I had so much fun doing it. I had a fun. I felt great. I could turn. I could jump. I had these this kind of momentum, this energy naturally within me. Um, I think what was very, very important for me when I joined Royal Ballet School was that I finally learned and um, you know, appreciated the value of the footwork, the cleanliness, not necessarily whacking your leg up as high as it can or turn as many spins as you possibly can just for the sake of it, just because you can. I had this ability because I just had this energy and I threw myself fearlessly into things. Um, so, yeah, the Royal Ballet School really helped me develop the finery. Um, and after that, um, I was crushed uh, to have not been accepted into the upper school. Um, I think there's a culture that um, develops a mentality where you think that if you don't get into one school or if you don't follow one specific, you know, creme de la creme or top of the top institution it means you won't succeed um so at first getting into the english national ballet school wasn't the most exciting news um and in retrospect i can't believe i had that mentality because for me it was um it was at embs that i really developed um who who i am now as a dancer i think it, it really um, there, I was able to amalgamate both my crazy, passionate fearlessness and um, the, the cleanliness and the finesse that I'd been taught to appreciate um, at the Royal Ballet School. Um, and I was given some great opportunities to take part in competitions as well during my time at English National Ballet School. Um, I went to the Jeanne International Ballet Competition where I was awarded the silver medal and um, the Young British Dancer of the Year, where I came second. Um, and that's actually where um, I remember Tamara was one of the judges and she was the director of the company. And I was just like, oh, twinkling eyes when she came backstage and congratulated me at the end. And I was just like, oh, like, it was, yeah, it was an absolutely incredible experience. Um, 
and and yeah, I was very, very, very fortunate um, and extremely grateful to have had this meeting at the end of our Christmas shows over a third year at English National Ballet School. Um, I remember the moment so clearly. Uh, the director of dance at the school said, oh, um, we need to see you in the office. And I was shaking. I didn't understand what was going on. And Tamara um, spoke to me and um, offered me this contract. And I was just oh, yeah, elated. It was, you know, when you, when you think back to those little naive dreams that you have as a little girl, um, and just it was just like a moment of, a surreal moment where everything just kind of pieced together and yeah it was very very special <laughs> um that moment will, no doubt will be etched on your memory for the rest of your life <laughs> and then followed no doubt many a year of very hard work <laughs> with the company yes. emb is famously yeah. a touring company both here in the uk but mm -hmm. also um, mm -hmm. across the world Notorious for being quite a hard-working company as well. Um, and Extremely. under Tamara's, yeah, Tamara's directorship is <laughs> doing amazing work as well. The company is in incredible shape. What were the, well, what have the, the last six years been like for you um, joining the company mm -hmm. and then going on to being promoted to first artist? Yeah, so um, I think my start at EMB was a bit tumultuous. Um, I was kind of thrown in at the deep end. I had to start um, sooner than I'd expected because um, someone had left uh, prematurely and I had to join like pretty much a few days after my graduation show. Um, and I remember the first thing I did was Kahalia in Granada. I'd learnt the dance of the hours like maybe a few hours before going on stage. Um, and it, it, I remember how surreal it felt to be dancing alongside these professional dancers in these beautiful costumes that were like, that had such a historic value to them because um, they'd been in the company for a really long time. And I always loved looking at the, the names on the inside and seeing all the dancers of generations past that have worn them. Um, and I was, I was very fortunate um, in the sense that I was um, entrusted with a lot from the beginning. Um, and I think, I'm very, very, very grateful for this. Um, I had the opportunity to um, take part in the Emerging Dancer competition in my first three years in the company, which is really surreal to think about it now. Um, I, I, don't, I, I guess it's, it's not a very common occurrence. Um, I think it's, it's a very, very special thing that um, English National Ballet has. Um, I think many companies don't give the opportunities to younger dancers and younger talents to to own the stage in a professional capacity um, at a rank, at, at doing repertoire that would be expected of a much higher rank. And I think this was an extremely strengthening and formative, um, you know, journey for me. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to strengthen and work on um, repertoire that I would have not had the chance to perform um, maybe in another company as a quarter ballet member um, and to work with choreographers that were just yeah incredible and were, were able to allow me to explore different facets of my dancing and um, and then I mean how could I even admit this um, creation process for Giselle with Akram Khan working with um, a choreographer like him is 
I can't really put into words the experience. He's getting into, he gets into the, into the psyche of each of his characters. He really, he really owns every single movement, every single gesture. And, and the energy of his movement is just, there's a percussiveness to all the music he uses and, and that's reflected in the body. And it's just, it's, oh, it's an energy that just radiates from him through the dancer. And it, it, it's, it's such an amazing experience. Um, so yeah, we had the opportunity to work with him for Giselle. Um, and I found a new appreciation for contemporary dance, which I, 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 I'd never really been that appreciative of, or, or I didn't really enjoy that much before. Um, and suddenly I found myself absolutely loving it and throwing myself into Oh, just with, with my, the entire energy of my being um, into, into his works. Um, and we've had the opportunity to tour this really, really special piece all over the world. Um, and also with, before Ekrem Khan's Giselle, we had the opportunity to tour EMB's um, uh, Pizzazz uh, Corsair um uh, in singapore um we've we went to china we went all the way to new zealand with akram kanchisal it's just it's it's been a surreal six years i wouldn't even know how to summarize them um that being said there were a few dips um mm -hmm. unfortunately um i did fracture my foot um in the past um which i guess in a way gave me gave me some sort of advantage uh now during lockdown because i i knew the process of uh, recovery. Um, I guess it's something that's inevitable as well with um, the workload um, that we have. Um, and again, as I said, it's all a self-discovery process. Um, and I do find myself learning and evolving and you know, changing my mentality um, every single year, every single week. <laughs> I feel like I learned something new. Um, I guess also with that, like with the amount of repertoire that we perform, um, I think at the beginning, I was just used to doing everything full out and everything like full energy. And, and then I realized you actually have to teach yourself how to pace yourself and how to keep the energy constant throughout. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, I, yeah, it, it's just, it's been an amazing six years and I wouldn't even know where to start and how to summarize everything. Well, it sounds amazing, particularly the international and working with Akram, what an incredible experience. Yeah. To me, that, that, was, that was just, uh, yeah. And also, actually, how could I admit this? Um, in my final um, chance, <laughs> let's say, or my, my, my third year doing the English National Ballet Emerging Dancer Competition, I um, had the serious luck and amazing honor to work with Sidi Larbi Cherkawi for the solo piece. And that again was a whole other discovery process. And um, I learned uh, a new fluidity and he's got this like serpentine quality to his movement. And I, I did some floor work stuff that I'd, I'd always seen in videos and I never, ever, ever imagined to be able to do it. And yeah, I was throwing myself into these like slides and rolls and yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, so yes, there's just a highlight after highlight. And yeah, oh, you're Killian's Pity More. We did that in the repertoire. Um, and I, that to me has always been one of the most, it's like the most musical piece of dancing I've ever seen in my life. Every single note. It's like, it's as if 
Mozart and Yuri Killian were in the same room together, composing and creating at the same time. It's, it's just amazing. Um, so yes, sorry, I keep going on tangents, but it's just like, yeah. No, they're it's wonderful, been, wonderful It's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are your dream roles? So you, when, you know, hopefully, soon enough, we'll see you see you back on stage mm -hmm. dream roles because you're obviously the you know you're quite near the beginnings of your what's going to be no mm -hmm. very long career what what are you hoping or would love to dance so i think one of my problems in life is that i want to do a little bit of every i want to do everything <laughs> so i i want to do them all um so doing giselle so much um i i've just i've i've had the great fortune of being um, a peasant woman and um, Batilde, uh, which is a really, really fun and special role, and Mirta. One thing I haven't achieved yet and I, I dream of one day is uh, to perform Giselle. That would be an absolute dream role of mine. Um, I would love to do Carmen. Um, Roland Petit's Carmen is, just, I think, stunning. Um, I, I obviously every ballerina has to do Odile. I personally, for my um, style and my energy of dance, definitely, definitely I'm more of an Odile. Um, but yes, that would be obviously one of the ones to tick off. Um, in a slightly different flavor and different tone, um, I'd love to do the role of uh, Prudence and Marguerite Narmand. Um, I just think it's she's, she's such a... A devious and flirtatious character and um, absolutely love that role um i'd i'd love to do um that long pas de deux with the ripples in eurykelian's um petit more um yeah i just there's there's so many things and, and i keep discovering and finding new pieces um and yeah it's just i i want to explore every single facet of the artistry that i possibly can um so yes i yeah that being said, though, <laughs> see, my problem is that I'm so hyperactively um, aware of everything in this world. Um, I also have so many things I want to achieve outside of dance, after dance. Um, and um, yeah, there, there's so many worlds and so many realms that I'd love to go into. I'm fascinated by psychology. Um, and um, I actually completed a diploma in sports psychology during lockdown. Um, I'm always fascinated wow. by the inner workings of our body and biology. Um, I did a sports nutrition diploma as well during lockdown. Um, and first and foremost, my biggest outside passion and hobby is um, writing. And um, I always created little mini reviews and just little, little excerpts for myself um, after watching performances because I am a seriously avid um theater addict almost <laughs> trying to performances all the time um and yeah it, it's it's been great to have time to also explore that during lockdown and create more writing pieces and i actually just had my first um professional uh, piece of writing um published in dance europe so hopefully ah, that's that's so fantastic I, I yeah, hopefully I'll be able to enjoy live performance again and maybe review it in a more professional capacity. <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds like you really, really used your lockdown time. I can't believe all of those things you just mentioned. You know, you're not just, just rehabbing, you are literally re-educating <laughs> and working and reinventing and it's amazing. 
well, I think one day I'll slow down. But for now, I think with all this energy and life that I have within me, I just feel like there's, there's too much to see. There's too much to explore. There's too much to learn. And I just, I wish I could just learn everything, read all the books. I've been reading so much. I, I've been writing. I've, I just, yeah, there's just so many corners of this world that I want to explore and get to know. Okay. So, one step at a time <laughs> yeah but with, with all of that what 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 would what would people find the most surprising to learn about you um beyond you know isabel the the ballerina and you know the the mm. studious hard working what what would they be really surprised to learn about you oh my god i i don't i don't really know i'm quite an open book so i think I'm very, yeah, I'm very, very outwardly expressive and outwardly emotive, as you may have realized throughout this podcast. <laughs> I go on um, exuberant, passionate tangents all the time, and I'm always really, really, really full of energy and um, extremely bubbly and extremely outgoing. Um, and I think, yeah, a, a lot of people associate me with this bubbliness and this this energy and energy. Um, I guess maybe what would surprise people is that I like to recharge um, in a very quiet and almost solitary and meditative way. Like I really value my me time. Um, and yeah, I think although I'm probably most known for my uh, exuberance and my bubbliness, um, I do very much value my Zen quiet time. <laughs> I, I was yeah. also reading that you speak a number of languages. Is, is this right? Yes, I do. <laughs> so I, I, I guess it's, uh, it's kind of cheating because um, we've moved around so much. And my mom's Italian. Uh, my dad's German. So I speak Italian and German. I grew up with that. Um, knowing Italian actually was extremely helpful when we moved to Mexico because Spanish kind of just tanked along. <laughs> Um, French was instilled in me throughout my education. And again, with the Latin roots, um, it's really easy to transfer and learn to another, and learn another language. So I, I guess I could put French in there and list. Some people would say, oh, no. Uh, and some people would be like, oh, oui, oui, bien sûr. So I, yeah, I, I put French in there as well. Um, my mom, she's the real inspiration. She's, uh, she speaks every single language you could possibly imagine. And uh, she actually, in university, she studied Arabic so that's I thought I think is the most fascinating one um, on the list uh, and she's, she still speaks it she still she does beautiful calligraphy and beautiful art and she's always writing Arabic and it's just, yeah wow. she fascinates me <laughs> and who in the dance world is your inspiration um well, uh, where would I begin with that one um I've I've had the serious surreal honor of working alongside some of my idols um, throughout my career and my training and being able to see them like on, on my first arrival as that idol, that kind of like almost detached and untouchable you know, goddess of dance. <laughs> um, it, it was just amazing to see them performing and see, see, see these idols that I'd, I'd seen on YouTube videos from the age of 12. Um, suddenly like, doing bar with me next to, next to me. And then what was even more interesting was then getting to know them and getting to understand the, the, the thought process behind their work. Um, I mean, I think Tamara Rojo is one of the most ambitious, strong-minded and 
intelligent woman. That's what I really value is that is 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 her 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 knowledge of of worldliness. I mean, there's a there's a worldliness there. There's there's an intellectual level that I think um, maybe there's a misconception around ballet dancers that they've um, been educated only in dance and know only dance and maybe the other aspects of their mind have not really been evolved or developed. And something I really admired, because it's something that I really appreciate, is 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 that Tamara Rojo has as a mind that's developed beyond the norm. Um, and she's ambitious and she sets high goals, but she gets to those high goals. And and that is, is a mentality that's really, you know, um, something that I, I, I value and really, really hold for myself. Um, as well, Alina Kojikaru, she's a star that I've been following since I started ballet because I started ballet in Romania. Um, and seeing her work and seeing the way she delves into each character. And, and I think what's super, super special about her is that literally every single performance is a different performance. I've seen her do Giselle countless times. I, I, can't even, I can't even think of counting them from the premiere until now. And each time it's a different show. And you can see that she, she, really, she really delves into the character um, of each of the roles that she goes into. Um, even with the classics, it's she never does the same performance of Manon twice. Um, even something a bit more whimsical and maybe with less depth to it, she's never done the same Sugar Plum twice. She's never done the same Clara twice. It's it's amazing um, because she really does go into self discovery and um, evolution process uh, each time. Um, and then we had uh, Jurgita, who first started as a guest artist, and then um, she was working with us more frequently. And um, with her, I just really saw this like footwork, this appreciation, this articulation, almost supernatural. Um, yeah, and Akram Khan, I think he was just one of the most influential artists that um, yeah, I've, I've had the honor of sharing time with. Uh, during my time at EM, in EMB, was just yeah, incredible. The, the way his mind works and the way he creates. You've reeled off some incredible names there, and <laughs> <laughs> many many a, a young dancer will be listening, quite envious to have had the opportunity to, as you say, to to share the bar with some of those wonderful dancers, mm -hmm. many of whom I've spoken with who I completely agree with everything you've said and, of course, mm -hmm. the work is just beyond. Mm -hmm. So thinking about those younger audiences, the younger dancers out there, um, mm -hmm. and what you have been going through um, to date in your career, what advice or words of wisdom would you give to other young dancers who would like to follow in your footsteps? Oh, wow. uh, lots. There's lots of words of advice, lots of words of wisdom. But and then again, who am I? I'm not. I'm not wise. Uh, these are just coming from a place of of still learning. Um, I'm just using the the experience that I've had. Um, and I think one of the most important things is is to remember that if you have this passion and you really have this fire within you and you know if you have it you, you know if you cannot go without that um pursue your dreams no matter what i've had so many people i don't have the most great legs i've got bowed legs and i've been reminded of this so many times in my career 
<laughs> I do not have great feet. Um, and I've just learned to work with them. I've learned to adjust shoes. I've learned to, you know, cheat. Um, I do not have a good arabesque. Again, you just learn to work with what you have. But if you have that passion with you, if you know that this is something that you want to do, don't let these kind of um, superficial um, aesthetics get in the way of it. Um, you will undoubtedly throughout your training and your career have people who deem you insufficient or inadequate. Um, of course, um, take the useful things out of these criticisms um, because there is, there is a lot of use in knowing what is seen from the outside and knowing that this aesthetic could be a problem. Um, but don't let it dishearten you and don't let it dampen that passion or, or you know, burn that, that flame out completely. Um, because it's something really, really worth pursuing. Um, and it hurts. It hurts a lot. And you'll cry. You'll cry. You'll scream in frustration. Um, you'll miss out a few parties. Um, you might not get the fun gadgets, but you'll get lots of point shoes and leotards instead. And um, it'll all be worth it. Because when you get on stage and you hear that applause, especially when you get that applause when you've done a solo role, it's yeah it just all comes together and you realize the importance of those sacrifices of those bad moments um yeah you so your, yeah, your, your passion comes through so strongly and of course you have to be passionate oh, to, to do this as a profession. So <laughs> no, no not at all <laughs> what, what out of the entire sort of spectrum you know what is your favorite part or you know why do you dance where does this passion come from what what drives you why do you dance um <laughs> what drives me it's um it's a feeling that you can't put into words um it's there's an energy there's a there's a rush um a, a, an endorphin high um when you dance that, that you can't even you can't even put in towards and that is exactly the quintessential importance of dance is you cannot put it into words you do not need words um it's some it's it's something human within us you see a baby who knows who has learned nothing and you put music on and you see innate it's this innate need uh, in us as humans to to move to express um and it, it, this rush is something that that i crave that i chase and um it, it's 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 an unquenchable thirst it's it's um it's a feeling that that you never tire of and um I, I remember even like the first the first time I went to center after lockdown and like having the space to finally twirl and move. It's just it brings out. I, I couldn't help myself. I, I I just I just smiled and even like if you see me during class, like a lot of people are always commenting that I'm like always smiling or always laughing. I can't physically do Grand Allegro without smiling. It's just I just I just can't. <laughs> yes, there's there's boring and hard and terrible medicine exercises throughout and I'm not going to pretend it's all smiles and all um, rainbows and sunshine all the time but in the end uh, when you actually have that freedom and that that, that space to dance it's it, yeah it's, a, it's an unmatchable feeling yeah. and, and that feeling on stage from your side of 
the, the theatre? What does it feel mm -hmm. like for you to be on stage? It's, um, you, you get transported completely into a different realm. Um, I mean, of course, there's shows we do up to 12 Nutcrackers in one week. Um, there's shows where you do not want to put those pointers on. <laughs> you do not want to go on and be a snowflake. Um, but there's, there's moments that, that can't be matched and I've never experienced it in any other aspect of life. Um, I mean, I, I felt it very strongly in some roles where you literally, you just, you just enter a different role and you're, you're dancing alongside colleagues that you giggle with and joke with and stretch with and cry with and, you know, they know everything about you and you know everything about them. And then suddenly you, it's not them. It's, it's, it's a different person. You've entered a completely different world. And again, it's something that you, that I can't really describe. It's, it's something that I guess many dancers feel. I, I don't know if I'm, I assume every dancer feels it. Um, but yeah, it's this, it's this journey into a completely new world that is, is just so special. Yeah. <laughs> well, you definitely make it special. I can't wait for you and the rest of the company to be back on stage. I'm crossing my fingers for oh, creatures. <laughs> I'm really hoping yeah. this is something that can be stuck onto the calendar because it's just been way too long. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Especially from the cafe. Thank you so much. And yes, I'm, I'm I apologize sorry. for that. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. And hopefully you get to drink that coffee. <laughs> um, and for listeners, thank you for bearing with us as we are you know, doing this um, a little bit alfresco. So I have to say, don't forget to follow Isabel on Instagram if you are not already, and I'm sure you are. And, <laughs> and it's at Bella Browers. And also keep up to date with EMB and find out, you know, what's happening with performances. They've also got the EMB at home. So you can have a look mm -hmm. at sort of, you know, what's happening in classes, what's happening online, follow them on Instagram. And hopefully you'll be able to buy those tickets, make your donations as well to the company. Yes. So, yep, we keep can. Keep the art form alive. <laughs> exactly, keep the art form, uh, art form alive, show our support, and we'll see you on stage soon. Thank you so much, Isabel. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.